Thank you, Lori, and thank you, Hunter, for that. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. While you turn there, I just want to uh, say just a couple things. Um, you know, we, we baptize infants in this church, uh, and we do it not because it saves our children, not because we believe uh, that, that the moment that they are baptized, they, they are uh, immediately uh, one with Christ, uh, but we do it uh, looking in faith to the day where they will have faith, right? Uh, and so, you know, we, we have these communicates classes, and, and they are wonderful things, and we have kids join, and I think often we don't necessarily make as big a deal of that as we should, what we get to see today in Parker is just a glimpse of how God is faithful, of how he has promised to be faithful from generation to generation to generation for, for all who believe in him. And what he has said that he will do, he, he is faithful to do it. And so today, I just want us all to, to rejoice, to rejoice certainly in the fact that Parker is joining but even more than that, that, that God is faithful to, to do what he has said he will do in our lives. And as we look to this, we were, are reminded of our own baptism. We're reminded of our own faith in him. Uh, and so we, we praise him today that, that we have church membership at all, that we have each other, and that he has given us a, a new member uh, to join today. Now, with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read today from verses 1 through 9. So let's hear God's word. And it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whatever they do, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said to him by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I am hearing such things? And he sought to see him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in a mighty and powerful way. Uh, Lord, we need your help now. If we ever need it, we need it here. As we are confronted by the truth of who you are, the truth of what you have said. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, open our hearts, convict us, uh, give us the comfort we need, Lord, to speak to us in a mighty and powerful way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, jumping into the deep end. Well, I've often heard it said that, that if you really want to gain a skill or gain the mastery of a skill, the most effective way to really do it is to just get out there and get some hands-on experience, right? 
you know, we may have some level of knowledge of things. Uh, we may have a theoretical working of, of how to do something, uh, but we really don't know how to do it uh, until we get our hands dirty, until we get that hands-on training. Uh, I remember my, my first semester at Northeast, I took Spanish 1 with someone that y'all are all very familiar with, Mr. Bob Craig, Senior Craig. Uh, and I remember that, that when I went into that class, I had taken uh, Spanish in high school, and so I could count to 20, and I could, you know, like identify colors, and I could do some very, very basic things in Spanish. But being an 18-year-old kid, and frankly just being me, I was, fr- I was really confident, really, really confident in how well I was going to be able to do in Spanish and in my linguistic skills, okay? Now, fast forward just a couple months into that first semester at Northeast, and all of that bravado was gone. It was completely gone. What I realized pretty quickly was that Senor Craig, his mastery of Spanish far surpassed anything that I had experienced up until that point. Now, I remember one day somebody asked him, how, how was it that he had become so fluent in the language? And this is what he told us. He said that, I don't remember, I should have asked before I just got up here and said this, but I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, this is what he told us, was that he would just go to Spanish-speaking countries And he would just kind of submerge himself into the culture there. He would stay for an extended period of time there. And what it forced him to do was use what may have just been knowledge in his mind. He had to use it for very practical purposes, right? If he wanted to go, you know, down the street to get something to eat, uh, if he needed to know where to stay, if he just wanted to talk to a person going down the road, then he was going to have to be able to use these skills that may have just been theoretical, may have just been academic to him otherwise. And what it produced in in him for sure was a skill level that I knew I, I would never have. He had jumped in the deep end, as it were, and ultimately it paid off. Now, as we turn to Luke chapter 9 here today, what we find is that Jesus... He sends his disciples out with a command uh, and to do something that I think must have been very similar. You know, you remember up until this point, we've really kind of focused on Jesus's Galilean ministry, or at least Luke has. And he's shown us uh, Jesus's power over everything in the world. He's shown us his power to teach. He has shown us his power to heal Uh, to cast out demons, and even last week we saw his ability or his power over death. There's nowhere where his authority cannot reach, nowhere where his might uh, is overcome. But through all of that, the disciples, they have had a front row seat. You know, you remember several weeks ago we described it kind of as the ultimate internship. They have been able to sit at the feet of the master. They've been able to seat sit at the feet of the Word made flesh, God incarnate, and to learn all that he has to say to them. And so we can be sure they have picked up kind of on the way he teaches people. They have picked up on the way that he treats people and cares for people. Maybe not with his power, but at least the way he speaks and cares for those in need. They have been with Jesus. And so surely... They have learned many, many important things. 
But Jesus knows that 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 presence, at least in the way that they have experienced it up to this point, will not always be with them. You know, we're kind of getting to that turning point here in Luke's gospel where Jesus is about to point himself directly to Jerusalem. He's going to point himself directly to the cross. And so as he gets ready to do that, it seems to me that what he's doing for these disciples is throwing them in the deep end so that they will be able to perfect the skills that they have learned for that time where he will be gone, where they can perfect that time for what we now know as Acts, right? As they go out into the world and they spread the Gospels to to all four corners of the world. He here is getting them ready to do just that. Now, as we read this, I want us to pay very special attention because the role he gives the disciples here is the same role he has given his church today. You know, what he sends them out to do is exactly what he is sending you and I out in the world to do, to to meet and to greet with people who are lost in their sins, to share with them the truth of what we know. And so there's four things I want us to learn as we move through this passage along with the disciples. First, we're going to see the the call itself. We're going to see the mission that Jesus gives these men and through them us. Secondly, we're going to see the power that they will need to fulfill that mission. Thirdly, we're going to see some special instructions that Ben has already pointed us to. And then fourthly, we're going to see a glimpse into how the world will surely react if we faithfully go out as Jesus has called us. Now, through it all, really what Jesus is going to be showing us is what it means to truly be his disciples. What it truly means to be his. What it means to fulfill that that great commission that's on the top of your bulletin there. We're going to refer back to that several different times. And so what I want us to to really grab onto, what I want us to really take away from our message today is the understanding, first off, that fulfilling that great commission, that doing what Jesus calls us to here, it's not optional. Now, look, that's, that's tough, especially in... Presbyterian circles, because often it seems that we we view it as optional, but Jesus makes it clear here that that it's not optional for the church, certainly, but not in any of our individual lives. But there's a second thing that I want us to see, too. It's not optional, but we never, ever do it by ourselves. It is he who goes with us, he who is with us, even to the end of the age. And so he can use us in mighty and surprising ways to build his kingdom. Here, he is preparing us for the work that is ahead. And so let's look at it together and let's jump, as it were, right into the deep end with these disciples. First, I want you to see in this passage a disciple's mission, a disciple's mission. And you see it there in verse 2. It says, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's a twofold mission. It's a mission of word, and it's a mission of deed. Now, we're going to take those in turn. First, it's a mission of word. Their primary objective is to proclaim. It is to speak. It is to tell people all the good news that Jesus' kingdom is. To tell of the king himself and to teach all of the things that Jesus has taught. 
Now look, we have to pause right there and recognize that, that what we have here is a glorious, glorious call. To be able to go out and to proclaim these things is an honor above all things. To be given the, the authority, to be given the, the call to go out with these words, words of life. Friends, this is no ho-hum story. This is no this fanciful tale. This is the greatest story ever told because it is the story of Almighty God. It is the story of the triune God that we read about earlier, the Creator. Here we proclaim His mysteries. We proclaim His character. We proclaim all that He has done in the world. And most significantly, we share the gospel. We share the good news of God's infinite love and His unfathomable grace lavished on sinners just like us through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His Son, and our Lord. What an honor. What, what a joy to go out and to speak those words. These are the things that angels long to hear. These are the things that quite literally uphold the world and all of its power. And we, you and I, the, the church, His disciples, we get to go out and proclaim it. Friends, what a calling this, this truly is. This is why, as Reformed people, we place so much stock in the preaching of the Word. It's because in that proclamation that the good news of the kingdom, it goes out. Now, that's what Jesus tells the, the, the people to do. That's what he tells the disciples to do right here. And I want us to think, just for a minute, about what that truly means. What does it mean to proclaim the kingdom? You know, often when we think about evangelism, our hesitancy is, well, what do I say? How do I talk about these things? You know, I don't feel like I'm equipped. I don't feel like I have enough knowledge. What if they challenge me on things, which certainly they will? How, how am I going to be able to speak these things in a way that, that, that works? And so what is it that we are to proclaim? Well, I think we can break it down simply enough into three things. First, we proclaim the kingdom's existence, right? We proclaim the fact that it is here, that, that God's power extends over all of the world. But more importantly than that, that it extends into the hearts of men and women, that his kingdom reigns spiritually in our lives even now. That we are members not of this earthly realm, but we are members of a greater kingdom. A kingdom that surely is to come, but a kingdom that is even here presently with us now. Secondly, you can't proclaim the kingdom without proclaiming the king, right? It wouldn't be a kingdom worth proclaiming if you didn't have a good king. But hey, we have the best king. So not only do we talk about his kingdom, but we talk about that triune God. We talk about the Father. We talk about the Son who sits at his right hand and reigns forevermore. And we talk about the Holy Spirit who applies his work in our hearts even now. Thirdly, we talk about the kingdom's citizens. Now look, I don't mean that to say that we, we talk ourselves up and we show people how, how special and important we are. But no, we certainly do go out with our own stories. We go out with what Jesus has done for us. You know, somebody several years ago framed for me that, that hymn, I love to tell the story. And it's in my office. 
And that's it. You know, in that at hymn, he talks about going out into the world and just proclaiming Jesus' love for him, what, what Jesus had done in his life. Friends, that, that's what we go out and proclaim when we proclaim the kingdom. Certainly, we could say more, but we're never shortchanging anybody if all we tell them is the, of the transformative work that Christ has done in us. If we go out and we tell them of the life that we lived before and how Jesus changed us, if we go out and we tell of his faithfulness from generation to generation, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complex. It's simply the good news. And so we go out with this ministry of the word. The second thing he sends them out with is not just the word, but he also sends them out with deeds, right? He says, go proclaim the kingdom and heal. Now for the disciples, that, that deed, it was healing. And we can say more about that and we will, specifically on how it was that they were able to do that. But for now, I just simply want you to think about why it was important for them to have the deed along with the word. As we've seen over and over again, if the word is authoritative, if it has the power, and that's what we believe, then why is the deed important? Well, there's two things. First, I want you to see that the, the deeds, they affirm the message that the apostles go out with, right? That they came talking about great power. They came talking about Christ's transformation in their lives, how he had healed so many and here, as they are able to, to give just a small evidence of that truth, it confirms, it lends legitimacy to what the disciples are saying. Yes, they're talking about transformation, and here we see it. We see it with our eyes. There's a second thing that this, these deeds do for us. And maybe this is just as important as the first you know, in contrast to so many of the other religious leaders of that day, going out with deeds, good deeds, it reminds everyone that the God that the disciples are bringing to them is one who cares. He cares about their personal lives. He cares about the hardships they face, the diseases they face, the little things that nobody else cares about that every other Pharisee and Sadducee would dismiss and say, get away from me, I don't, I don't want to talk about that, Jesus cares about. He's not some God who is just out there somewhere. This is not a religion that is impractical. No, it, it is very near to us. It, 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 it has uh, implications for our daily lives. We can come to him with all that we struggle with, he cares, and he is willing to do something about it. And so the disciples, they go out with this deed of healing. Now for us, you know, healing isn't normally a part of our ministry to the world, though I would hesitate to say it's never a part of our ministry to the world, uh, especially in uh, countries outside of the West. Uh, the Lord certainly is able to do all things, and so we shouldn't put him in any sort of box and say what he is and is not going to do. But normally for us, uh, this is not the way that our deeds are played out. But we still go out with deeds, right? We still go out and we work among the people out in the world. And the reason that we do it is the same reasons that Jesus tells the disciples do it. First, it lends legitimacy to what we're saying. 
If we go out and we act like we don't really care about people, then then they're not going to be able to see any of the transformation in our own lives as we see past the things that the world would normally hold against them, as we freely serve them without asking anything in return, then they get just a small glimpse of the transformation that Christ has worked in our hearts. Yes, these people are different. It's that Acts chapter 4 as they're all eating together and sharing everything and people see it and they say, I want to be a part of that. They, They really have experienced something in that group. Friends, going out with good deeds and helping others, it lends a legitimacy to the message that we take. But then secondly, again, just as importantly, it shows people that God cares. That he cares through his people to to work in their lives. That we care about them. They're more than just a number on a page. More than just a number on a roll. They are part of a body. A body that is there to to serve one another, to lift each other up, to edify one another. When we are down, we, we, we talk to each other in ways that points us back to the love of Christ. And friends, let's be honest. The old saying, it is still true. Actions often speak so much louder than our words. We can proclaim everything, but if we don't have love, then it's not going to make a hill of beans, right? That's what Paul says to us. We can go out with the word and we can proclaim it. But if our deeds don't back it up, then we, don't, we shouldn't expect anybody ever to listen to what we have to say. And so we see that the mission here, it's a mission of word and it's a mission of deed. Now, secondly in this passage, I want you to notice that, not, that it's a, a ministry of word and deed, but, but it's a ministry that, that requires power. And so the second thing we see here is a disciple's power. We've seen a disciple's mission. Secondly, a disciple's power. And you see it there in verse 1. It says, he called them and sent them out, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Friends, isn't that a wonderful statement? Now, if Jesus had simply said, go out, go proclaim, Go, go heal, go do these things that I'm telling you to do, then, then how do you think the disciples really would have received that? Surely, surely, Peter and maybe John would have said, okay, Lord, we're going. We got this. You know, they would have gone because that's, that's the way Peter reacted to everything. He just put his head down and he went. But somebody, maybe Thomas, one of the disciples would have stood up and said, boys, I don't know that we have the ability or the power or the authority to do any of these things that Jesus is saying. Somebody would have said, Lord, we can't heal. People don't listen to you half the time. How are we going to expect them to listen to us? Somebody would have seen their complete inadequacy, and they never would have gone. Now, I know this is true. I know it for a fact that somebody in there would have reacted that way Because it is the way that my heart reacts every time I get in this pulpit. It is the time, it is the way that people's hearts react every time we talk about evangelism and going out into the world. People back up and they say, hang on now. I don't don't have the power to do this. I don't have the ability to do this. I can't get the small things in my life right. So what right do I have to go out and to tell somebody else about Jesus? 
We have no power. We have no authority. Notice, notice, Jesus doesn't send us out by ourselves. What does he give us? He gives us his power. He gives us his authority. An authority that extends to all things, right? By the Holy Spirit, Christ works in us and through us, giving authority to the words that we say, but also giving the power to the works of our hands, transforming our lives, transforming even our weak efforts, so that they might have eternal significance. Let me say that to you again. He transforms even us so that the words we say and the things we do can have eternal significance. Friends, this is why we can go out. Again, just to be frank, this is why I can stand in this pulpit week after week. And some weeks I get up here and I'm like, Lord, I don't know that I can do this again. But week after week after week I can do it because it's not my power. It's not my authority that makes the difference. I pray it's not. You better pray it's not. It's his. He is the one who is doing the work. That is our hope. That is our trust. He is the one who says, if you need wisdom, ask, and I will give it to you. He is the one who says to us, don't worry about what you're going to say, because in that moment, you will have it. And he is the one there in Matthew 28 who says, go out, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. That's not a throwaway sentence. He didn't just throw, add that in just for, for the fun of it. That's the power. He is with us to the end. And so we can go. We can serve, even if we are unskilled, even if we don't feel that we are able. Because it's not us. It's him. He calls us to be faithful, and then he gives the success, okay? So we see a disciple's power. Thirdly, in this passage, I want you to notice a disciple's instructions. So disciple's instructions. And you see them in verse 3. <clears throat> First, he gives them some surprising packing tips as Ben talked to the kids about here. He says, all right, you're going to go into the world, and I don't want you to take anything at all with you. No staff, no, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra tunic do I want you to take. Basically, go out with the clothes that you have on your back. Just go. Now, what's the, what's the point of this? Well, again... I need, to, I need to make you an outline, sorry, because all this is clear in my mind, and for y'all, it's like I'm all over the place. But I'm going to do that. But again, Riken hits it right when there's a, there's a twofold purpose to this. First, it's a reminder of the urgency of their call, right? It's an urgent call. Don't take the time to go home. Don't take the time to get your stuff together. Go, because this message is that urgent. This is what people need that Bad. You don't have time to get your stuff together. Just go and do what I tell you to do. So it lends legitimacy to the urgent call that Christ has given us. But secondly, uh, for them, as, as Ben reminded us, it is a constant reminder to them of their complete dependence all along the way. Imagine, if you will, you know, they go out and maybe that first go around, they have great success. Say, yes, we've seen many people come to know the Lord. Get a little puffed up, right? We get a, just our heads get a little big. We think, hey, we, we did a pretty good job. But then they got to turn around and they got to find something to eat. 
Then they got to turn around and they got to figure out what they're going to wear the next day. They got to figure out where they're going to lay their head if they're going to move on to the next city. Again, they're dependent on Jesus, right? Again, we said this last week and we'll say it again. This is part of the reason why our evangelism is so unsuccessful out in the world. It's because we are dependent on very little, if anything. We have all the money in the world to have all the programs in the world to be able to do whatever we want. We have facilities. We have people. We have it all. And so we can throw a pretty good evangelistic effort without ever really thinking about who it is that we need and that we proclaim. If we want our, our evangelism to be successful, it must be as dependent as these men were. Now, I'm not saying to us that we have to go and get rid of all the things that we have, because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying to us. But if it hinders us, if it keeps us from doing what Christ calls us here to, then maybe we do need to think about it. Because again, without him, without dependence on him, then our efforts will make not a hill of beans. To whatever degree we are undependent, we may need to abandon those things that we are depending on. And so Christ, he sends us out, and he sends us out seemingly without a lot to, to hold on to other than him, because he wants us to be dependent on him. Well, that leads us to our fourth and final point. I want us to see, as we finish up, a disciples' reception. I want us to see how the world will surely react, how they will receive us as we take this message out. Now, you see that there in verses 4 through 9. First, he says, some, some will receive the word with joy, and they will receive the disciples with joy. They will invite them in. They will say, hey, come and stay in our house. And he says, you stay there until you leave and you go to the next place. Some people are going to receive it and they're going to bow before Jesus and they're going to accept him as Lord. And that's, that's what we pray for, right? That, that's the good stuff. That's what we want. But notice, secondly, surely, there will be others who will reject them, who will say, no, you're not staying in my house. I'm not believing those things that you have said and notice what Jesus tells them to do. He says, take off your sandals when you leave that place and shake them off. I know Ben has been uh, preaching, or not preaching, teaching through, maybe preaching, but teaching through the book of Ruth, or he just got done with it. And you remember in that particular book, sandals have a, a particular significance, right? Jewish people had a very, uh, uh, they, they really had a thing about sandals, okay? And in this case, what, what Jesus is saying to him is this. The disciples shaking off the dust from their feet declared in symbol that the Israelites who rejected the kingdom were no better than Gentiles. He, he is declaring judgment against them. Now, that's important because who was it that, that went in and who was it that they rejected? At least to some degree it was the disciples, right? But through rejecting the disciples, who is it that they are truly rejecting? Rejecting the Lord. They were, they were rejecting Jesus. And so he says, shake your feet off at them. But then there's a third group. And we see it there in that story of Herod the Tetrarch. He's just simply perplexed. You know, some accept it, some reject it. And then some are just kind of curious. They're, they're kind of concerned. They don't really know what to think. Now, this is Herod who killed John the Baptist, who was the son of Herod the Great that tried to kill Jesus. 
And as the word spreads, as he hears these things, as people come up with different theories about who Jesus is, maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's John, maybe he's a prophet, uh, he, he can't help but, but ask the question, who is this really? Who, who is this man who is causing such a wake out in the world? And Luke ends it with, with something of a, of a cliffhanger, I guess. He says he wanted to see him. He sought to see him. Now certainly his, his desire here may not have been good. It may not have been what we wanted. But he's asking the, the right questions, right? He, his desire is the right one. Ultimately, it's not going to lead him to Jesus. We know that he's going to give him over to the Jewish people and ultimately condemn him to his death. Who is this man? And what has he done? And how can I get to him so that I can see these things for myself? Friends, that's the right questions to ask. He's perplexed. Maybe you're here today and you're perplexed too. Maybe you haven't accepted him fully like that first group, and maybe you haven't rejected him either. Maybe you're just curious. Maybe you're asking the question what is Jesus all about? What has he done for, for these people here at New Albany Presbyterian Church? What has he done for people out in the world? Well, friends, let me hold up to you today the, the word made flesh. Let me hold up to you this Jesus that Luke proclaims in his gospel, the one that we as a church family are to go out and to proclaim with word and with deed. The one who is rejected by men, but who is the Savior of sinners who opens his arms wide to us and says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. The one who sends us out with his authority, with his power to a mission field that is ripe for harvest, right? This is the one today that we serve. And he has given us a great calling, a calling that he has given the disciples. It's a mission to go out. And so I end by asking. Are you trusting in him for salvation? And if so, are you about that call? He has given you the power. He has given you the authority. He has given this church that authority and that power. But he has also given us the promise. The promise of his presence. The promise that he will never leave us. That when we go out, we never go alone. Will you, serve? Will you leave this place today? That's my challenge to you now. Will you leave this place and go serve him as we pray together? Father, we ask that, that you would help us to do that. Uh, Lord, we know we are prone to, to not do those things. We're prone to, to be scared and afraid, uh, to proclaim our own uh, good deeds, our own work, our own lives. Uh, but Lord, I pray today that, that as your people, that the words on our tongues will always be about our Savior who has died in our place who has set us free, that the works of our hands would always be to your glory, to your honor, so that others might see Jesus in us. And they might be curious about the hope that we have. Lord, make us always ready to proclaim our reason for that hope. Give us the words to say, Lord, the truth is, is we often feel unprepared. We feel unskilled, unready to, to do what you've called us to do. Lord, if you are with us, then who can stop us? Lord, you can take our words as fumbling as they may be. I'm evidence of that right now. You can take our weakness. You can use it in mighty ways. In fact, you delight to do that. So we pray that you would do it now.
And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.